church. So our scripture reading will begin in Acts 2. It will be on the screen. If you have Bibles in your hands, it's always for the best. And keep those Bibles open as we study God's word that we may test everything against the word of God. Acts 2, verse 1. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last day it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day." And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." Thus far, it's the reading of God's word. The sermon continues, and you can read the rest at home. It's a wonderful uh, sermon, the first sermon preached in the New Testament church as the Spirit fills the church and equips them to be witnesses for the Lord and Savior. And that's something about what we'll be focusing upon this morning as we study God's word, the idea of how the Spirit equips us with a purpose. The Spirit comes upon God's people not merely, as Acts 1.8 says, to make us witnesses of Jesus, which is such an important part of the calling of the church. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, said the Lord, and you'll be my witnesses. But as is declared by Peter to proclaim salvation, we are never, as God's people, merely speaking of facts about Jesus. We aren't just describing a little bit about what he's like. We are proclaiming in the name of the sovereign God 
how sinful men and women can be reconciled to a holy God, how people can be saved. And if we think about the task of declaring how someone can be made right with God, this is a task that is, it is not an easy thing. I don't know if you've ever tried to share your faith, you've been praying for a neighbor, maybe it's a, a, a wayward child, uh, maybe it's someone at work and you're, you're looking for an opportunity to share the gospel and you're praying for that opportunity and then one day the Lord opens the door and they finally say to you, so what do you believe or why do you go to church? And the door is there and you have this golden moment to make Christ known and you blow it. You, 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 you stammer, you, you try to say something, and when the conversation's over, it's one of those things where you all of a sudden you're thinking, that's what I should have said. Oh, I wish I'd said that. I should have done that. And we can think of all the times that in our weakness and our failings, we are perhaps in our own estimation less fit, not equipped to be witnesses, to make salvation known in the name of Jesus Christ. The beauty of the passage before us and the beauty of the event described as the Spirit comes down upon the church is that as Peter explains what is happening here, as he describes what is going on, he speaks of how God has sent his Spirit to the church, that we can do what God has called us to do, that we can bear witness to Jesus Christ in spite of all our weakness in spite of all our failings. And God can use us, no matter who we may be, if we stand by faith in Jesus, God can use us and will use us as his people to make salvation known, to bring sinners to faith in Christ. It's going to be our encouragement and focus as we study God's word this morning and see Peter's Pentecostal Day sermon that God sends his spirit to fill the church so that we can make salvation known in the name of Jesus Christ. We'll hit it in three points. First, we'll see how this applies and will apply to all Christians. It applies to all. Then we'll see how it is a simple but powerful gospel. And then we'll see, thirdly, how it is all rooted in Christ. It applies to all. It is a simple but powerful gospel, and it is rooted in Jesus Christ. As we begin, we begin in Acts 2.14. As I mentioned, it, the uh, text on the screen disappears. If your Bible's open, keep them open. Uh, the Pentecostal Day sermon and Pentecostal Day events were quite remarkable. If you noticed as we read through, you had this group, this amalgamation of all kinds of different people from all kinds of different places in Jerusalem. It was the time of the Passover, uh, the Pentecost celebrations, pardon me, and Jews from all areas came to Jerusalem to celebrate. And as they came in, the, one of the miracles of Pentecost, the idea of speaking in tongues, was as, as that each person came and heard the disciples and the apostles and the 120 gathered in the upper room speaking, each one heard the uh, orator speaking as if they spoke in their own native language. I don't know if how many different languages we have here. I don't know how many places people were born in uh, from different areas of the world. I'm guessing most of us are Canadian, but we may have somewhat a different native tongue growing up. We may have some that English is a little tougher to hear. Now imagine, imagine as you sit in this room and I'm preaching to you today, that if you have any trouble with the English language, you would actually hear the sermon spoken in your own native tongue 
as it's given by one person. We have all kinds of great ways to translate things now. I don't know if you've ever spoken to someone from a different country. You can pull up Google Translate on your phone, and they can speak into the phone, and it will give you a rough estimation of what they're saying in your own language. I don't know how accurate it is, because I can't test it. I've heard that the United Nations has all kinds of earpieces that the different delegates have in their ears, and so no matter who is speaking, they have translators translating the message into the ears of the various delegates so they can hear the speaker in their own native tongue. Well, that was the day of Pentecost. The people heard the work of God in their own language, and they were amazed, and that's what verse 11 kind of highlights for us. Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And Peter goes on now to explain that. That's what verse 14 and following, that's what a sermon is about. And Peter's going to explain that by rooting it and driving us to Jesus. As he goes on, he says it's not about drunkenness, as some may have thought, because they had this odd thing happening. But he anchors it in verse 16 in what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Now, Joel is an Old Testament prophet. And it's one of the prophecies that we aren't entirely sure of when it was given. When scholars try to study the book, they look at when Joel prophesied, there's no clear indication of a date. And so they give it a rough estimation that Joel could have been uh, prophesying any time between 500 and 800 years before Christ. That's the rough estimation, 500 and 800 years before Christ. So when Peter has to explain what's happening, he quotes a man who prophesied what would happen some 500 to 800 years before. And he describes it in these words, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. The first thing we notice about the day of Pentecost, the first thing we notice, is that as it fulfills Scripture, it does something very unique. It moves us into what the Bible calls the last days. We recently went through the book of Revelation as a church, and to be honest, um, it was enjoyable, and it was a little scary. On the day when Hamas invaded Israel, we had a sermon on a portion of Revelation that spoke with the nations gathering to make war against Jerusalem. Like it was, Hamas invaded on the Saturday, and on Sunday we hit that text in the book of Revelation. So it's a really remarkable thing because our whole thesis of Revelation was that Revelation is not just about some future time. It does speak about future times. But Revelation tells us about all God is going to be doing from the first time when Christ ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, from the time he poured out his spirit all the way until he comes again. And here as as Peter begins his sermon, that's what he's saying. He's saying the coming of Christ was so significant that now in God's redemptive plan, we have entered the last days. We have entered the time when God's work has reached its pinnacle, and we are now in the final stage of history. And what will characterize this final stage of history, says Joel and confirms Peter, is that in these final days, the knowledge of God and the nearness of God will not be limited to some. But the knowledge of God, the ability to make known what God has done, will be given not merely to one or to two, to a chosen priest or to a chosen prophet, but to everyone who knows the Lord and Savior. I will pour out my spirit, says Joel, says the Lord, on all flesh, and they shall prophesy. Now what does it mean that the Lord is going to pour out his spirit on his entire church and will be given the gift of prophecy? 
Uh, kids, what do you think that means? Do you think that it means if we are Christians that we can predict the future? Does it mean that we can tell what's going to happen in the weeks or months or even years to come? Is that what Joel is trying to describe? Some churches will tell us that's what it is. Some Christians will say that's what it means, that we can tell the future. But if you notice what is being said in the text and in context, Peter is not explaining fortune-telling. Peter is not saying we'll be able to tell the future. No, what he's doing is he's explaining what the people have just witnessed. That all these followers of Christ, filled with the Spirit of God, Acts 2 verse 11, are making known and declaring the mighty works of God. That's what they're doing. They're talking about what God has done in Jesus. And Peter says that's exactly what Joel said would happen. When we read the Bible and it speaks of how God will pour out his spirit in all flesh, and our sons and daughters will prophesy, and our young men will dream dreams, and our old men will see visions, and on our God's men servants and maidservants, he'll pour out his spirit in the last days and they will prophesy. God is not saying we'll be given the gift to read the future. He is saying that each and every one of his children will be able to speak by the Spirit about the mighty things of God. As the text goes through, there's a few things highlighted. First, it speaks of how your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And there's debate about what each pair of terms highlights. Some say the sons and daughters highlights the idea that it doesn't matter what your gender is, if you're male or female. As a Christian, you're given the Spirit, no matter whether you're a man or woman. In the church, we recognize that God in his word has limited the office of elder, deacon, and pastor to men. He has given leadership in the church and in the home to men. But never for a moment should we think that women are not filled with the Spirit of God and able to speak of the mighty things the Lord has done. Because God pours out his Spirit on all flesh. Isn't this what we believe when we believe that fathers and mothers have a calling to teach their kids in the ways of the Lord? Isn't this what we need to understand when we have those times and maybe our kids are now in the teenage years and we aren't sure quite how to get across them anymore and it's not written in the manual. I, I loved, I had, a, I had someone reach out to me this past week uh, asking for a little help and, and they said, you know, this is my situation and I've read tons of books and none of the books cover this. None of the books cover this. I just kind of loved it because I thought, isn't that life? Uh, we get out there and we, we, we think we know the answers. I remember hearing a man who, is a, I think it's just a joke, but he wrote a dissertation, a big paper on parenting. He was a single man. And when he published his paper, he called it Six Definitive Principles for Raising Your Children. Six Definitive Principles. Later on, as he got older, he got married, and he had a chance to rewrite his, his dissertation, his big paper, and he said, six strong guidelines for helping your children. Years later, his kids grew up a little more. He had teenagers in the home, and some of them were even leaving the home and starting to nest their home, and he had a chance to rewrite his dissertation again, and he renamed it, renamed it this, Help Me, I'm Dying. 
We live in a world where our kids are facing things we didn't understand. Where we have technology that children figure out faster than parents. And we're trying to raise our kids in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. How can we do that? The Lord says, I will pour out my spirit upon you, upon your children, upon your men, your women, young and old, and you'll be able to speak the mighty things of God. God will equip you to fulfill the calling he has laid upon you. The idea of, um, the next section is the idea, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. The Lord now begins, and this idea of seeing visions and dreaming dreams, it speaks of a knowledge that they are given an insight into the things of the Lord. And this is remarkable, because God now says he's going to be giving this insight to the young and the old. The young and the old. I know how many of you with young children have used the, the, the children's catechism to help uh, disciple your kids in the truths of the Lord. But it's, it's especially meant for young children. And it asks very simple questions and the kids memorize it. Who made you? God. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make you and all things? For his glory. This, this is a little bit of an example of what you can get. It's online. It's free. You might have copies in the church. I don't know. It's a wonderful tool. We used it when our kids were young. And one time one of our children was in the sandbox playing and uh, he had gone through in the days before how many gods are there? There is one God. And how many persons are in this God? Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And for some reason, our neighbor asked him a question across the fence as he played in the sandbox. And for some reason, my son answered completely contrary to anything she was asking and just said there is one God and he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. My neighbor is a Roman Catholic. And she was so excited to hear my son proclaim that there is one God and three persons that she came over to our house and said, you won't believe what your son just said to me. You ever notice that sometimes kids make the best evangelists? You're looking for a way to talk to your neighbors and your child just says, hey, we're going to church today. Do you want to come? You wonder why you're so shy. It's remarkable when, when Peter begins to speak of the Spirit's outpouring, he describes it in a covenantal fashion, doesn't he? Your sons and daughters will prophesy, young men, old men. He takes a look at the whole breadth of the church, both male and female, young and old. And he says they're all going to be given the Spirit of God, and they're all going to be able to talk about the mighty things of the Lord. You may say like Moses, Lord, I, I don't have a mouth to speak. I'm not a public speaker. I stammer in my words. And God will say, don't forget who made your tongue. Remember, you just had a team come back from the mission field with Ed Judeo. When I was a teenager, I went on a mission trip to Dominican Republic. If you are thinking about a mission trip, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to learn a little bit about the church of God and see how the Lord works in different ways. The first mission trip I went in a further afield was to Dominican Republic. It was just a building, a mission trip. We built a church. We built a, a parsonage, a home for a pastor. And on the second or third last day of the trip, uh, one of our men who was riding upon a moped, he lost control of it going down the side of a mountain, and he hit into a cement culvert, and he was significantly injured. And with much lower standard of medical care, we prayed and prayed and prayed for God to heal him. And the Lord sustained him. He needed blood, but there's a lot of uh, 
HIV in the blood of natives in that area, so they needed to have blood that they could be trusted, and the Lord brought in another team who could be coming in after us, and they had two donors. He needed two donors, they had two donors whose blood matched what he needed, and the Lord sustained him. And finally, he was able to be well enough. He was flown home. He was put into one of our excellent hospitals in Canada. He was in Kingston General Hospital, where he was receiving the best possible care, when after roughly two months, he contracted an infection and died. And I remember some of his family wondering why God would answer all kinds of prayers in the Dominican Republic and sustain his life when the health care wasn't great and bring him home, only to lose him. I remember his grandson saying, you know, my grandfather never told me about Jesus. He never talked to me about God. I always knew the church was important. We always went to church. He always said we should say our prayers, but he never talked to me about Jesus until he came home and was in the hospital in Kingston. And he never stopped talking about Jesus to anyone. Every nurse found out he was a Christian. All the kids who came to visit him were told to love the Lord. I don't know what happened, but he never stopped talking about Jesus. Beloved, sometimes we have this idea in our heads that just our example is enough. But faith comes through hearing, says Romans 10, and hearing by the word of God. And we must proclaim the mighty things of God. And the Spirit is given so that whether we are young or old, whether we have done it before or we haven't, we can with a help that is not our own Glorify the Savior who loves us. This isn't just for the pastors. It's not just for the evangelists. It is for all. It's a simple gospel, secondly. Simple but powerful. As the text goes on, Joel begins to speak about these ideas of wonders. And this is uh, verses 19 and 20. It's a little difficult to understand exactly uh, what he's referring to in this. But remember, he is looking, Joel is looking from five or eight hundred years earlier to the last days. He's looking to this entire time period that characterizes where we are now after Christ sent the Spirit all the way till his second coming. And he speaks of how God will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. If you go through the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is filled with signs in the earth and in the heavens above that will come before the coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to judge the living and to judge the dead. In the Bible, the idea of these signs are often uh, held hand in hand with the concept of God bringing judgment Think about how when Christ hung on the cross, the sun was turned to darkness from noon until 3 p.m. These physical manifestations of signs are often held hand in hand with when God comes in judgment upon the earth. And as Joel looks to the last days, he sees the time when God will pour out his spirit and all his people will be able to prophesy to tell the mighty things of God and he also realizes that these last days will, will come to an end with a, with a judgment and a time of testing and hardship 
And he pictures this idea of this coming judgment and then makes this simple proclamation, verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How much do we have to know to bear witness to Jesus Christ? Do we have to go through an apologetics class that can be helpful? Do we have to take a class on evangelism that can be a great benefit? But how much do we have to know to be a witness to Jesus Christ? Not much. A woman at a well who had Jesus tell her everything she'd ever did just walked into the city and said, come here the man who told me everything I ever did. Could it be the Messiah? And the whole area came to Christ through her testimony. Paul declared in 2 Timothy 1 verse 15, this is a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Joel says, listen, this is, this is what the gospel is all about. There's going to be a, a time where he pours out his spirit. There's going to be a time when he comes in wrath and judgment. And there is a time right now when if anyone is simply willing to call upon the name of Christ, they will find a Savior who will receive them. Isn't that what we heard in the assurance of pardon this morning in Matthew eleven twenty eight, When Jesus cries out to the people, just come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He doesn't ask what they've done. He hasn't asked what they've gone through. He doesn't ask if they've made themselves ready. He just says, come. What a crazy thing that our God is so gracious and so powerful that all you have to do to be saved is to cry out to Jesus, Lord, save me. Remarkably, Peter knew that because Peter had had it happen to him. You may remember the time when Peter and the disciples were in the boat and the storm was upon the sea. And Jesus is walking on the water. And the disciples were all afraid. And the Lord said, don't be afraid, it's I. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus commanded Peter to come to him. And so Peter got out of the boat, and Peter walked on water to the Lord. Do you remember that story? The story doesn't end with Peter walking on water, though, does it? The story ends by telling us that when Peter saw the wind and the waves, he was afraid and he began to sink. And one thing changed it all for Peter. As he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And the Bible says immediately Jesus reached out his hand. And they were both in the boat. Peter didn't know how Jesus would do it. Peter didn't know everything to know. All he knew was that he was going down and he needed a savior and he called in the name of Jesus. What a message to give. We might not know all the answers for everybody's sinful struggles, amen? They're going through things we can't understand and we don't understand all the ideas of addictions, all the ideas of struggles, but we can just tell them a simple gospel. Listen, I, you know what? I, I don't know how to figure this all out. I'm no professional counselor, but I know this. If you call on the name of Jesus, you'll be saved. It's not a 10-step program. You might need one later. But the gospel isn't that complex. Just cry out to Jesus. Confess how much you need him. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to heal you, and he will. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a beautiful thing that this is the gospel we get to proclaim. 
It's a message we get to share with our children. A message we get to encourage each other in from week to week. When we see the struggles of our hearts, when we may feel overwhelmed with the burden of our sin, and we forget the gospel for ourselves. Don't forget, my brother. Don't forget, my sister. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord is saved. Are you calling on Christ? You're saved. The last section of Peter's sermon, which is going to be the main portion of it, which we just get to touch a little bit, is that he takes everything he's seen from Joel in those 500 to 800 years before, he begins to speak about how the Spirit is now being sent out and how salvation is now being proclaimed and made known. And then the rest of his sermon, and we can't cover it all, the rest of his sermon is all on this one simple point. It's all because of Jesus. That's the rest of the sermon. He's going to say, everything that you're seeing, this great day of salvation, is all because of Christ. He begins to open up the idea and the reality of Christ, and he does so with three key things. This is our final point. First, he says this, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. When you talk about Jesus, there's all kinds of different opinions of Jesus in the world, all kinds of different ways to view him. Some believe he was a, a really remarkable teacher, and that uh, his followers, out of deep love and devotion to this man who was such a good teacher, um, made up stories, exaggerated things, until eventually it became legend. And slowly they built it up and began to speak about now, not only was he a great man who did miracles, but he also died on the cross and rose from the dead. They, they think it's something they kind of made up of a good man who was an influential teacher. I want you to realize the significance of what Peter says in, Matthew, in Acts 2.22. He says to a crowd of people who were there when Jesus walked the earth. Thousands of them. Remember, 3,000 are converted out of this sermon. He is speaking to a crowd. We don't know the size of it. It may have been 3,000 and every person was saved. It may have been 10,000 and 30% was saved. We don't know. He's speaking to a crowd of thousands. He's saying, you know what? Jesus was a miracle worker And by those miracles, God showed you he wasn't just a man. God showed you he was the Messiah, and you know it. Think of that. The the, the burden of proof that Peter sets before the people is something they themselves know. Have you ever doubted the Christian faith? Have you ever wondered if maybe it's, it's not the real gospel? After all, maybe Jesus isn't the Christ. Every religion claims to have the truth. How do we know we hold it? When Peter preached the gospel, he he wasn't looking to to convince people by fancy words. He said to them, listen, you saw Christ raise the dead. You watched him heal the sick. The children who, who touched him or were made well are in this crowd right now. He was a miracle worker. God proved he was the Christ by the signs he did, and you yourselves know it. If Peter was lying, the crowd would have just walked away, wouldn't they? They would have said, what a charlatan. We know who Jesus was. He was just a carpenter. Oh yeah, he could speak well, but come on, Peter. Miracle worker, you gotta be kidding me. But they didn't. Why? Because Peter wasn't lying. That's who Jesus is. 
And he moves on to speak of his miraculous life and how God, through those miracles, showed everyone that salvation was not only in the name of the Lord, but in the name of Jesus. And then he goes on to say, verse 23, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This is not merely speaking of the death of Christ, though it does confirm the death of Christ. The Muslims tell us that Jesus only appeared to die, that it wasn't really Jesus upon the cross, that the crucifixion is a fake. No chance. No chance. But Peter is not merely proving the crucifixion. He is telling the people that the crucifixion was their fault. Remember, the Spirit is poured out so we can be witnesses of Jesus. But the goal is not just to talk about Jesus. The goal is to take the truths of salvation and apply them to the hearts of those who hear us. That's what Peter did. This miracle worker, this man who raised the dead, you crucified. And you rejected. Loving Lord, when we think of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are called to bear witness of, it is a gospel of a glorious salvation, but it's a glorious salvation to sinners who need a Savior. It's a glorious salvation because we are guilty of the blood of Christ. Because it was our sin that held him there, as the old hymn says. Because he came to his own and his own didn't receive him. Do you know when you're training your covenant children, they need to hear that too? Do you know how many wrestle with the guilt of their sin because they know and are taught from a young age that God is real and they believe it? Then they come to see all the the failings of their own heart and all the times they they haven't lived as they ought to have lived. Do you know what it is to be able to witness to our kids? Listen, I know that because of your sin, Christ had to die. I know that, and so does God. This is by the plan of God. Jesus didn't die by accident. God sent him here because he knew you reject him. He knew you needed a savior. And that's exactly why he came. But he didn't just die. He rose again. There's a neat picture here in the last verse of our text. In the Greek, the word the pangs of death are sometimes called the birth pangs of death. The word in the Greek suggests a time when a woman is about to have a baby. And uh, the, the pain of labor and contractions are upon her. And the verse says, you know what, God loosed the pangs of death. He, he, he freed Christ from them because it wasn't possible for Christ to be held by the grave. Peter proclaims that Jesus died and was crucified by the very people he is speaking to. And then he turns around and says, but what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And God set free 
from the crucifixion you imposed. What a message we have to share with a world that has crucified the Son of God. What a message we have to share with a brother or sister who are wallowing in the guilt of their sin. Who know just how far they've fallen. Oh yes, you have crucified the Son of God. But God raised him up. And this entire message of Peter will go on to speak of not the death of Christ, but the victory how Christ has conquered sin and death and hell, how he now sits at the right hand of God the Father, how all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And it will be the beginning of the formation of the church that is founded upon the work of our Savior that we are a part of. Beloved Lord, the gospel we have is not a gospel made up by man. It is not a religion that has been formed to try to honor someone who is simply a good person. The gospel we have is of a Savior who came to earth, who was the very Son of God, who in God's sovereign wisdom was crucified by lawless men, and in God's sovereign power was raised from the dead, that salvation may be proclaimed and forgiveness might be found through him. You and I are not all that, and we fail in our efforts to witness for Christ every single day. But God has given us his spirit. That by the grace of God and the help of God, young and old, men and women, rich and poor, may prophesy and speak the great things of Christ. Beloved Lord, this is our calling. It's our calling in the home. It's our calling in our neighborhoods. It's our calling in our Bible studies. It's our calling as we share life together as God's people, as we fellowship together over a cup of coffee, as you hear of the ups and downs, the trials and the joys of your brothers and sisters in the Lord, as we come alongside each other in times of hurting, we are called to not merely be a helping hand, but to speak of the beauty of Christ. That even now, he sits at the right hand of God. He hasn't forgotten you. And your sins won't destroy you if you stand by faith. Just call on him. And know the grace that is greater than all your sin. And this is the message we have for the world. For neighbors, for co-workers, for the people that might really get under our skin. To know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who lived a life of holiness and power, who died a death by God's sovereign knowledge and because of our rebellion, and yet conquered death that we could be saved. Beloved, God sends his spirit so that salvation can be known in the church and through the church. May the Lord help us to be a spirit-filled body to know what it is to have the anointing of God, that we may speak the mighty things of Jesus. Amen. Let's join together in prayer.